Blog Talk Radio. Special guest for you today. We have uh, Professor uh, Chesinja Aruza, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the New School for Social Research and writer for Jacobin Magazine, a leading voice for the American left offering socialist perspectives on politics, economics, and culture. Uh, she's also the author of a couple of books, Dangerous Liaisons, The Marriages and Divorces of Marxism and Feminism, and the Misadventures of the Idiocy, uh, Plutonius, uh, Origin, and Gregory of Nyssa. Her work has appeared in peer-reviewed journals such as the Journal of the Society for Greek Political Thought, Historical Materialism, and History of Political Thought. She has also co-edited along with Demetria Nikon, Philosophy and Political Power in Antiquity. Uh, so we're going to get into some very good discussions about uh, her recent writings for the Jacobin and uh, the March 8th International Women's uh, Strike uh, Coalition representing dozens of grassroots grassroots. This is like a tongue twister. Grassroots groups <laughs> and labor organizations organizing a number of actions in support of labor campaigns, migrant rights, sanctuary campus campaigns, uh, and, and others. So uh, she is a very clear voice uh, when it comes to, to today's politics uh, and today's economics. So um, I believe she's online right now, and uh, we're going to click her on and uh, have some fun. Let's see. Tatinzia, how are you? How Hi. are you? Hi, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it is good to hear your voice. <laughs> I I know that when I first read some of your work in the Jacobin, I was uh, extremely struck by its clarity. Um, 
and in this day of noise, and you know what I'm talking about, you have all sorts of political yeah. noise, you have all sorts of economic noise. Uh, I look for clarity when I when I read something, and 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 your writings were extremely clear, especially uh, your piece, the dangers of anti-Trumpism. Uh, uh, when you compare him to the Italian pi- uh, Prime Minister uh, uh, Silvio uh, Berlusconi uh, in Italy, tell us a little bit more about that comparison, that connection you made between these two figures, and why it. What are the inherent dangers in anti-Trumpism? Okay, so first of all, thank you for uh, your um, kind words. Um, mm-hmm. So when I wrote the article, uh, um, I wrote it in the, in the context of, uh, uh, of a multiplication of comparisons uh, between Trump and uh, Berlusconi uh, on media, mm-hmm. on newspapers and so on. Um, and I wanted to warn uh, about some um, possible mistakes in the comparison, in the sense that it is absolutely true that uh, um, Trump uh, uh, and Berlusconi share uh, a certain form of uh, populism and, uh, and a certain aesthetic, and they are both uh, they have both presented them- themselves as uh, um, not professional politicians, but rather very successful uh, business, businessmen who would then mm-hmm. um, apply their, their skills, their capacity to uh, managing the, the state. Uh, so all of this is true, and also the sexual scandal, the misogyny uh, uh, are certainly features in common, but there are also very significant differences um, in, uh, in, uh, in the foreign poli- politics, for example, that the two have pursued. Um, and also the, 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 parliament, the Italian parliamentary system is very different from the American one. So uh, the, mm-hmm. and the, the prime minister doesn't have the kind of power that the president of the United States has. Uh, but uh, besides this, what I wanted to emphasize in the article was that uh, a deeper analogy may be actually um, made between a certain form of anti-Trumpism and uh, what uh, um, was uh, used to be uh, anti-Berlusconism in Italy, and that uh, these similarities are actually the, uh, something that should uh, invite us to reflect and also to be a bit worried about the possible mistakes of an opposition to, to Trump in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you so also the- wrote that uh, whereas Trump basically hijacked the Republican Party, uh, Berlusconi already had his own media empire from which to uh, disseminate disinformation or information, if you will, <laughs> uh, to the uh, in, in Italy. Um, what are your views on uh, Trump's whole, you know, the the, the fake news canard uh, that he repeatedly uses? Uh, my viewpoint was that this was something that the Democrats. Had interjected into uh, the po- to, to the, uh, the the political race, and uh, Trump just picked the ball up and ran with it. The the fake news. Yeah, fake news. Canard. So uh, was something the, that. Yeah, I mean this is another similarity with uh, certainly with Berlusconi, and um, of course the difference is that Berlusconi had uh, an entire media empire that uh, mm-hmm. he used uh, for this purpose, but. Uh, uh, he really um, changed, in a sense, uh, the the form of communication in politics uh, in uh, in Italy 
and also the the media the media scenario. And this is also a bit of a difference with Trump because Trump doesn't really control the media, and uh, and right. there are uh, several mainstream media that are actually com- actively campaigning against Trump. While in the case of Berlusconi, he had um, for a while uh, a monopoly, or almost monopoly of the of the information. But the similarity is that uh, uh, both of them. Um, manipulate information in the sense of uh, spreading fake news, uh, um, accusing uh, journalists to lie uh, when they write something that uh, they, they don't like, um, mm-hmm. uh, making claim, public claims and then uh, uh, going back on these claims, uh, denying that they, have, they made them and accusing the journalists of manipulating uh, what they said, or um, uh, misinforming, misinterpreting, and so on. So all of this is uh, quite similar. And of course, uh, um, this is not the introduction of lying politics, because honestly, as you said, um, misinformation in politics is uh, is a constant feature. Um, yes. What is uh, what what is new is that that this is, this has become blatant. So in other words. The, the kind of lies or fake news uh, are uh, lies and fake news that can be immediately be recognized as such. So mm-hmm. can, they can be immediately verified and recognized as, as fake. And this does, doesn't deter uh, Trump from, uh, from or didn't deter Berlusconi from uh, spreading them. So this is mm-hmm. the, 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 the main difference. Of course, we cannot think that uh, we are now in the... Um, in the in the realm of uh, you know fake news and uh, false truth, uh, while uh, earlier uh, communi- information was characterized by authenticity and, uh, and truth, because this is not the case. Yeah, I um I, I had written something a, a, just a little bit ago where I, I talked about Trump's uh, you know casual relationship with the truth. Um, but the media has a whole lot to answer. I mean, you, you, you know, that we wouldn't be able to have sold a lot of the things we've sold in this country, politically speaking, if it wasn't for the complicity of the media. So isn't there also a fine line that we have to walk here that while we uh, look at Trump's, as I said, casual relationship with the truth, we also don't become so enamored with protecting the media that we forget their complicity. Uh, uh, the Iraq war is one uh, example. We go back to Vietnam. Uh, we, we can talk about the, the different things that the American McCarthyism, the different things that have been sold to the American public by and large uh, with, uh, with this collusion between media and, and our, uh, our government and our politics. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And by the way, um, uh, as you said earlier, uh, there is, of course, uh, an enormous responsibility of the Democratic Party. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Hillary Clinton herself repeatedly lied on on media. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and for a while, uh, this uh, this, uh, misinformation, these lies were actually covered by the media. So I I entirely agree with you. And the Iraq war Mm -hmm. clearly was uh, the most egregious example because the the, the campaign in which mainstream media participated based on the fo- entirely false notion that uh, uh, Saddam Hussein uh, was in possession of arms or weapons of mass destruction. Uh, this is an enormous responsibility that uh, mm-hmm. um, not only U.S. media, 
but international media as well uh, have and uh, and they they have been uh, they have become complices accomplices of uh, what actually turned out to be a serious mass crime a serious uh, mm -hmm. war crime exactly so and exactly. Totally agree with you so and uh, and, and uh, by the way, this this um, brings me back to the issue of anti-Trumpism because uh, here the risk is uh, that of you know suggesting that with Trump uh, we are uh, entering the uh, a completely new situation in which uh, um, there are fake news, false truths, uh, media are uh, under uh, attack, and so on. Uh, well, the, the truth is that, um, uh, as you said, need, mainstream media have uh, enormous responsibility in their relationship, the, relation, the kind of relationship uh, they maintain with, uh, with political power and with the, and with the administration so far. Um, yeah. So that one of the dangers of anti-Trumpism is precisely to, uh, to present the election of Trump as a, some sort of apocalypse in which everything has changed. While what, what yeah. we had is an escalation, it's a clear escalation of features that were already present in uh, U.S. politics and society. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I often, you know, when I think back back on the campaign, uh, when he was campaigning for president, and how the media would take hours, I mean hours and hours of covering, you know, his events when you know, in the past they would only cover. Uh, a little bit here and there, but I mean, they they focused in on his uh, campaigns, uh, his campaign stops in their entirety almost, which was a new thing. So I think that as the as he's attacking the media, I mean, I think the media has to take some responsibility for creating a Donald Trump. The phenomenon, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and, and what is even more shocking is the fact that, for example, uh, um, for uh, for all the first months of the of the primaries campaign, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the campaign of Bernie Sanders was uh, basically not covered by the media, by exactly. the media. So nobody yes. was talking about it until they were actually forced to do it because the the the, result, the electoral results were. Uh, so striking that they could not go on ignoring it. But for months, they basically ignored uh, Sanders while giving all this space to, to Trump. Uh, and by the way, this was uh, done in Italy as well under Berlusconi. So this is another problem. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even uh, even media who were that were opposed to Berlusconi would, in any case, report every single uh, um, claim, utterance, statement, uh, joke that Berlusconi made. Right. Um, they did this uh, to attack Berlusconi, but at the end, at the end of the day, they actually gave him even uh, uh, greater visibility. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they made the problem yeah. worse because they created the, the mediatic phenomenon, a misunderstanding yeah. also the situation. So because the, the assumption was that people would be scandalized by mm -hmm. Berlusconi's mm -hmm. uh, um, yes. gross jokes, and of course, part of the society was scandalized, yes. but part of the society was was galvanized. Um, by this uh, sort of return of the repressed. Yeah, I mean the the the, the what? <laughs> I mean, I, that, this is so true. I mean, I, I'm I'm stammering and stuttering here because of the, you know, the, the 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 sheer truth of that statement was that they thought that okay, let's play Trump because you know, when we show how crazy he is, when when we show how you know scandalous he is. There's no way people are going to vote for him. <laughs> and then they yeah. create this media juggernaut, so to speak. So, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so true. So 
so true. Now, you wrote uh, another piece that I, I really liked. I mean, I, I became a, a, a real, you're the one that drew me to the online magazine, The Jacobin. I hadn't even heard of it before. And uh, when I saw your uh, pieces posted there, I said, okay, let me check it out. And so you wrote a piece called Democracy Against Neoliberalism. Now, yes. some people would think that's one and the same. We've had neoliberalism and its message has been so intertwined uh, into, quote, unquote, the democracy message. How, I mean, what's the difference? Why is democracy against neoliberalism? Uh, because I think uh, uh, the, the phenomenon we are increasingly witnessing is that uh, um, neoliberalism uh, is losing uh, its su- support, its social support, um, mm-hmm. and, and therefore the, the reaction uh, by the neoliberal government is actually to um, uh, sh- shrink uh, the space for democracy, even uh, representative parliamentary democracy. For example, right. uh, all the referendum, almost all of all the referenda that took place on uh, the European Constitution or uh, now Brexit uh, um, in, mm-hmm. in, in Europe, uh, or also you know some referenda in, uh, in in Italy as well on you know public water and so on, they are basically ignored. So uh, governments continue to to go um, um, to go on with their austerity policies and with. Mm-hmm. with with their uh, um, uh, policies on the on, uh, on the on the issue of the debt, and uh, um, there is there has been a, a, a constant transfer of power in the last decades from uh, um, national parliaments to mm-hmm. the European institutions, and uh, at the level of European institutions, it is certainly not the European Parliament that has uh, uh, real power. Uh, it is mm-hmm. the executive. Um, institutions, so the, the Commission, the, the Council of the European Union, which are not elected. They are not elected directly by the, by the citizens. Right. And the, the European Parliament has, plays really very little role. It doesn't really have any power. Uh, so what we are witnessing is actually the um, authoritarian, increasingly authoritarian uh, transformation of uh, neoliberal uh, um, governments and societies. And uh, France is, is probably the most uh, worrying example because mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, in, in France uh, uh, th- there has been uh, a state of exception for, a, for more than a year, um, and this is uh, a, a clear violation of uh, uh, civic liberties, freedoms, uh, uh, and, uh, and civil rights. And, uh, and uh, of course, this was implemented in the name of protecting France from terrorist attacks. But the outcome is precisely that, uh, basically, at the moment, uh, um, the, the, the socialist party is responsible for uh, having uh, produced a situation of uh, fundamental lack of democracy. That, in the case, by the way, of victory of the far right, which is a possibility now in France, would be an enormous disaster. So uh, they prepared. This, uh, uh, this situation for the for the far right. So um, in this sense, then uh, clearly uh, democracy, even representative democracy, even liberal democracy, and neoliberalism at the moment are are, are at odds because uh, people have finally realized that uh, um, decades of austerity and neoliberalism have actually produced uh, uh, terrible conditions of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And therefore, they are not uh, willing anymore to go on uh, with this. 
and 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 now uh, uh, neoliberal force, political forces have a problem because uh, uh, they they increasingly uh, lack uh, popular support, and uh, and therefore the the reaction is technocratic and authoritarian. Mm. And and Italy is clearly uh, probably the most uh, uh, evident one of the most evident examples of this in Europe at the moment. Right. Uh, what role? How is the EU driving some of this uh, uh, nativism that I see? You got Le Pen in uh, France. You have um, uh, UKIP in uh, the UK. Um, you have different groups in like places like you know, uh, even Australia is starting to go nativist. Um, um, how do you believe? How how, how do you see the U- EU? driving some of this nativism. Uh, even uh, Angela Merkel is uh, looking uh, over her shoulder at the uh, uh, the right-wing groups in uh, Germany that are gaining ground right now. Uh, how, how, how has the EU driven this, do you think? Uh, that's, uh, I mean, uh, we can make some uh, very strong analogies with what happened in the United States. Um, okay. In the sense that uh, this, uh, this uh, new wave of uh, right-wing uh, uh, populist forces, uh, far-right mm-hmm. populist forces, uh, is a direct outcome of, uh, um, uh, of two aspects uh, and, and two factors. One is uh, the, the social and economic policies that uh, the European Union uh, uh, institutions have imposed on uh, national governments. And they have been accepted clearly by the national uh, governments. And uh, the the management of of the Greek crisis, uh, but also that of of Ireland or Portugal, are uh, examples of this. So the the, the cost of the the crisis has been paid by the working class, the European working class, um, and uh, this, uh, uh, this happened through a direct attack on labor rights, uh, but also through a direct attack uh, on uh, uh, social provisioning, uh, welfare state, and so on. The second factor has to do with the, the European Union uh, military intervention in the Middle East, which has uh, uh, created uh, um, a, norm, a situation of enormous suffering, and, but also instability. So now... Uh, we have uh, uh, a mass of refugees and, and migrants uh, coming from uh, from the Middle East and uh, from uh, from Africa. Uh, some of them are uh, environmental refugees, uh, and once again, the European Union has enormous responsibilities also from this from this viewpoint. And uh, uh, the arrival of these uh, um, of migrants and refugees um, has been used by the European Union. Uh, um, to further uh, divide uh, the, the European working class by uh, pitting against each other, migrants, refugees, and uh, native uh, workers, so to speak. Um, but uh, they, what they didn't uh, um, consider is that uh, uh, this kind of, uh, of uh, closed borders politics and, and also the kind of xenophobia, uh, xenophobia and then uh, Islamophobia that they also agitated uh, would then mm-hmm. uh, fuel uh, populist uh, far-right organizations. So uh, the combination of these two factors um, now is producing the, the, uh, this, this enormous wave of uh, this very worry, worrying wave of far-right uh, forces. 
some of which may actually take power in some uh, in some uh, European countries, and we will see what, what will will happen in France in particular. Um, and the same can be said. Something similar can be said for the United States. Uh, Trump is not uh, something that uh, is coming out of the blue. Um, mm. This uh, uh, this is Trump has been produced by years of uh, neoliberal policies uh, and also mm-hmm. by the uh, U.S. Uh, um, imperialistic uh, uh, po- uh, foreign policy, politics and the attacks on uh, in uh, in the Middle East. Um, so we cannot uh, now forget the responsibilities of the Democratic Party uh, in producing uh, yeah. the Trump phenomenon. Uh, this is a, a direct outcome of this. And, uh, um, and the same can be said for center-left forces in uh, in uh, Europe. That, that because uh, in former social democratic uh, center-left forces. Uh, in, uh, in Europe, that would be almost equivalent to the Democratic Party, maybe a bit more on the left. Uh, but mm. uh, they have, uh, in uh, over the course of uh, of years, uh, um, accepted the the, the, um, the constraints related, to, for example, on the debt uh, related to the European Union. Just it is sufficient to think uh, um, of the case of Cyprus in Greece, for example. And uh, clearly, this has created uh, an empty space. Uh, that the far right, uh, political empty space that the far right is occupying now. Hmm. Yeah, I um, my contention has been that the left in this country, to a certain extent, took an eight-year vacation <laughs> during the uh, uh, during the presidency of Barack Obama, and I say this because. Uh, it seemed that they weren't energized in this way uh, when, you know, Obama had written, you know, the same sort of ban uh, on um, or, uh, people from Muslim countries. And, and the, the whole feature with Obama was he was actually bombing those same countries at the same time. He was denying them passage into this country. Um, and the left seemed to, or at least, those who tend to identify themselves as part of the Democratic Party or progressives or, you know, liberals, they had seemed to have not paid attention to those things that were going on. Uh, there were massive school closings, especially in black and Hispanic neighborhoods in this country. N- not a word about that. Uh, there were a number of things that was taking place that uh, the the 1% was enriched by uh, a couple of uh, trillion dollars, while the people at the bottom had lost something like $670 billion during his presidency. So as we talk about neoliberalism, as we talk about, uh, you know, how do we push back against uh, neoliberal policies, you know, the, uh, uh, the right-wing uh, nativism and so forth, isn't there some sort of soul searching that those who have identified themselves as progressive and liberal have to do uh, in regard to, as I said, taking somewhat of a vacation during the Obama presidency? Or, or do you not see it that way? No, I agree with you um, in the sense that, just to, to give an example, uh, Obama deported uh, during his presidency more immigrants than uh, Bush did. 
yeah. and uh, of course there were there were struggles, but nothing compared compared to uh, the react spontaneous reaction against the Muslim ban uh, under Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So um, clearly there is a problem. I don't want to minimize uh, the 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 damages that Trump can uh, do. Uh, so in other mm. words, uh, Trump is a real problem and we have to oppose him. At the same time, I think that uh, uh, it is now uh, the moment to also have a very honest discussion, a very frank discussion among those who oppose uh, Trump about the right. causes of Trump's victory um, and the, the roots of, uh, of the Trump phenomenon. Because the, the risk is that uh, we may even uh, manage to limit the damage, uh, the damage to Trump um now uh, i hope so mm-hmm. um i hope he will be impeached uh but at the same time it's <laughs> not that uh, the causes that we that, that produce that produce him uh, we we may right. well in a few years have something even worse than trump uh, exactly and, and uh, so and we will be even in a worse uh, situation because uh, it is already happening trump is worse than even worse than bush uh mm-hmm. and uh, how we how has this been possible after uh, 80 years of a presidency that uh, presented itself as the presidency that would have changed uh, the the face of America? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the first slogan of, uh, of the Obama's campaign in uh, 2008 was, uh, uh, yes, we can, and apparently we couldn't. <laughs> so I think this, uh, this is really now the moment not only to oppose Trump and to organize a, a strong social resistance against Trump, but also to have a very, very frank session among all those who oppose Trump about what kind of policies, what kind of uh, um, politics we want to see realized. And we cannot uh, continue thinking that uh, the neoliberal dogmas are something that we, we, we must accept without discussion because uh, they are like some sort of natural law uh, imposed by the market. Mm-hmm. This cannot be accepted anymore. Okay. Well, now we get to the good part, uh, uh, we yes. We're going to talk about the woman's strike, the international woman's strike. Man, have you been coordinating the uh, aspect of it that takes place in New York City, been helping to coordinate that? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, um, I'm in the National Planning Committee of the International mm-hmm. Women's Strike in the U.S., so I'm uh, helping also the coordination of the, of the strike in, uh, all over the country and also the New York. Uh, the New York okay. Now, I really want people to hear exactly what you say on this part. So uh, we've had a little back and forth with the uh, the phone, so I don't know if you're talking directly into it or not. Um, yes. But uh, all right. Okay. Uh, Can you hear so me? I want to, yeah, that's better. Uh, I want you to tell us what is the impetus for this? I mean, why do we need an international women's strike. Why? Why is this necessary? Why, you know, must it take place? Talk to us. Uh, so, um, two reasons. So, one is that uh, uh, the, in spite of all the claims about uh, how capitalism is uh, beneficial for women, uh, mm-hmm. actually, if we look at the, at the data about uh, uh, women's um, employment. Uh, uh, differential wages uh, and uh, violence against women, reproductive rights, the situation is certainly not very good. Uh, 
uh, we are now mm-hmm. fighting again for uh, things that uh, we thought we had achieved, at least in terms, for example, of reproductive rights. You know, the right mm-hmm. of abortion, right not to be sterilized without my will, uh, against my will, um, and, uh, and access to free health care, free abortion, and so on. Uh, so all of this has been under attack, and uh, uh, I, I spoke at length about uh, uh, this decade of neoliberalism, and something we, ha- we must take into account is that uh, uh, neoliberalism uh, um, affects uh, disproportionately women, and especially women of color, migrant women, and working-class women. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the first, uh, the, the, the first necessity, and... Um, the, the idea of an international women's strike um, was launched by um, Polish and Argentinian women who uh, mm-hmm. had given birth uh, in the last fall to um, a massive uh, women's strike in Poland against the abortion ban and uh, uh, a wave of uh, mass uh, demonstrations and strikes in Argentina against the male violence. Um, the second uh, um, reason has to do with uh, the International Women's Day. The International Women's Day must be repoliticized. Uh, uh, it, it exists because of uh, women's struggles. It originates from women's struggles, um, from the struggle of uh, uh, women workers in the United States first, and then Russian uh, um, women uh, in, uh, that started the February Revolution. I think this history mm-hmm. must be retrieved. Uh, the International Women's Day is not just a, a day of flowers and parties and being nice to w- women. It is a day of protest. It is a day of struggle. And I think we have the possibility uh, now to repoliticize uh, this, this day, this recurrence. And, uh, and this is absolutely necess- necessary also because uh, I think we are now um, in front, we have now in front of us the concrete possibility of. Uh, uh, rebuilding a new international and internationalist feminist movement. Uh, the level of participation in a number of women in a number of countries in these uh, demonstrations and strikes has been enormous in the past month. So, and the Women's March in the United States has demonstrated that uh, this is, uh, um, there is really uh, a mass of women who are fed up, who, can, who are not willing to accept uh, uh, misogyny in public discourse and political, political discourse anymore, who are not mm-hmm. willing to accept uh, uh, difference in wages, uh, who are not willing to have their reproductive rights uh, denied. So I think we are uh, internationally at a moment in which uh, women, both cis and trans women, uh, are uh, really fed up. And, uh, and that it's a good moment. I think we can really build an international uh, feminist movement again. What I have found compelling in this discussion, and thank you for your insights on on this, and I, and I do agree uh, that there are some key issues uh, that that directly apply to women that absolutely positively have to be addressed. Um, what I have found compelling, though, in this country, in America, uh, when things like affirmative action have been like on the ballot, and white women have benefited from that program more than any demographic in this country. But when it becomes a ballot initiative, they vote in larger numbers against it, along with white men. In this past election, white women voted for Trump uh, more than they voted for uh, Clinton. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that that was uh, 
uh, in my opinion, it wasn't a great choice to have in the first place. But it, it is somewhat telling. Um, and when I look at especially Black women and, and me being uh, the brother of, of someone who's been taken away by gun violence, uh, when we look at unarmed Black Hello? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. When we look at unarmed uh, Black men uh, and unarmed Black women being killed by the police in greater numbers, uh, you know, disproportionately being killed, um, how does the, 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 the Women's Day seek to, in my opinion, in this country, because I've heard a lot of Black women say this, how do they seek to mend those bridges where they feel like the sisterhood has, in a sense, been broken at those particular fault lines when it comes to their, when it comes to women of color's unique circumstances um, here in the U.S.? How, how, how does the women's uh, international women's strike or International Women's Day? How, how do how do they seek to bridge those divides? Because they're there. So, um, first of all, the international uh, women's strike in the United States uh, mm-hmm. uh, is generated uh, and, uh, um, uh, by the initiative of uh, women of color. So, in other words, I'm just one of the uh, I'm one right. and I'm just one one of the organizers, but. Uh, uh, the, among the main organizers of the strike, there are uh, uh, women like uh, Barbara Smith or Kianga uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yamaska Taylor or Titi Batasharia and, right. and, uh, and many others. Um, precisely because uh, um, I don't know if you had the opportunity to read our platform, but uh, uh, the, the question of uh, immigration and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and um, attacks on immigration and white supremacy are central right. to our platform. So these are not side uh, preoccupations. Or, uh, it's not okay. something that has been added uh, later on or, or uh, as a side note. Uh, this is actually the core, mm-hmm. the very head of our, uh, of our action. So um, the international uh, women's strike is uh, uh, made by working class um, migrants and, and, uh, and women of color. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the, it has as its core the opposition to racism in all, these, in all its forms and the opposition to imperialism. So this is our, uh, let's say, uh, passport, <laughs> our idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it is absolutely necess- necessary to do this precisely because uh, uh, there is a certain kind of feminism. Uh, we called it uh, lean-in or corporate feminism that has left behind precisely these women, uh, women of color, working-class women, uh, um, and uh, uh, migrant women. Uh, these mm-hmm. are the women who cannot lean in, who cannot uh, right. uh, succeed through self-promotion, who, as you said, are killed by the police because, uh, or harassed, constantly harassed by the police because uh, they are women of color, uh, who are deported right. in mass to, back to Mexico or to um, Ecuador and so on. Uh, right. So we cannot... Uh, uh, what does leaning in mean for these women? It doesn't mean absolutely anything. Um, no. So this kind of uh, white leaning corporate feminism has failed uh, the large mass of women in this country. So solidarity must be built, rebuilt among women, starting from uh, the specificity of the condition of, uh, of uh, uh, those women who are more subject to oppression. 
so these, uh, their needs, their desires, their condition must be at the center of a new feminist movement. Because if we don't do this, we reproduce precisely the kind of forced universalism uh, of the white middle class woman uh, that doesn't fit uh, of, uh, of the conditions of life and the needs of uh, millions and millions of other women. Well, so this is the kind of what we are doing. And, and by the way, in okay, New York, for example, uh, in New York, for example, the, the rally and march and the actions that will take place on March 8th, most of them uh, will uh, have at uh, their center the issue of immigration and uh, white, demo, uh, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read the information. I just wanted you to tell our audience, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted them to hear it. It's I wanted them to, to hear the audience you. read the platform. <laughs> yeah, I wanted them to hear it from you. <laughs> so, so what can we expect on March eighth in New York City? What 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 can we look forward to seeing? Um, in New York City, so there will be a rally at uh, four p.m. in Washington Square Park, and mm-hmm. then um, a march uh, at five thirty. We we would like to try to go uh, to Ducati Park to end the march there. Mm-hmm. And what we were thinking was also to make some stops uh, during the march, um, for example, in front of Stonewall, in front of the African burial ground, um, mm-hmm. in front of the immigration court, and to have also performances and uh, creative actions taking place in front of this uh, symbolic point that we want to mm-hmm. cross during the, the march. And then during the day, the, uh, before the, the rally and the march, there will be also actions um, in support of labor campaigns. Uh, there mm-hmm. will be a student's uh, um, contingent and convergence uh, uh, probably around the demand and the campaign uh, uh, for a sanctuary campus um, mm-hmm. because uh, um, students and faculty members are involved at the moment in uh, in, the, in, a, in a campaign in a number of, of campuses uh, in order to push the administration to declare the campus a sanctuary campus. For, uh, uh, so mm-hmm. um, probably there will be also uh, a student action uh, around this issue uh, earlier in the day. So it's right. going to be a very full day. And by the way, um, one of the best uh, news we had in the past days is that uh, the bodega strike has decided to endorse yeah. uh, uh, yeah. the strike in New York. So we will uh, yes. march together with our uh, uh, brothers and sisters of, uh, uh, of the Yemeni uh, uh, bodega strike. And this, this, is so, this, is, this is going to further show precisely that the, the kind of feminism we are uh, uh, now putting forward and that we want to build is uh, uh, um, at its core an anti-racist and pro-immigrant feminism. All right, all right. What what can we look forward to from you, Tachinzia? What do you what do you have in the works? What books? What you know things can we look forward to? Oh. Uh, so when I finally will have the time to go back to writing, because at the moment I'm just uh, <laughs> speaking and organizing. Yes. <laughs> the I know the uh, feeling. I, yes, I I'm finishing a book on tyranny in Plato's Republic, which. When I started writing this book, of course, I didn't imagine that it would be so timely. <laughs> because, <laughs> because of tyranny. Um, and, um, and, and then I, I, I will start working on a, on a larger project, on a large project uh, of a book on uh, social reproduction 
gender oppression and capitalism, uh, in which I will uh, try to uh, put together all the work that I did in these years uh, around this uh, this, uh, this issue. Okay. But this is going to, this is going to be after I uh, when I have time from political organization okay. because at the moment uh, I feel that it is urgent to be uh, active, politically active, socially active, uh, and that this at the moment is more urgent than writing. Exactly, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Professor Tatinzia Aruza. Uh, she is the author of the book. Uh, Dangerous Liaisons, The Marriages and Divorces of Marxism and Feminism. She is also a professor, assistant professor of philosophy at the New School for Social Research and writer for Jacobin Magazine, a leading voice of the American left, offering socialist on politics, economics, and culture. And she is also one of the organizers of the International Women's Strike in New York City. Thank you very much, Tinsinia, for being on our show. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Yes, you too. Take care. Well, so that's a voice uh, uh, that I think uh, uh, we needed to hear. Um, being uh, a part of the, uh, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's going to be an international uh, women's strike. And so we guys get to figure out what it feels like to not have women around for a day and to see the impact. <laughs> that they make in uh, our daily lives, sometimes that overlooked impact that they have in our daily lives. So um, the aims against misogyny and chauvinism and uh, against uh, sexism uh, are very much needed. Uh, What the work they're trying to do against those uh, particular things are very much needed, but they shouldn't be the only ones speaking up against those things. Uh, Those of us who are, you know, who happen to be male, (laughs) uh, we need to speak up and to speak out against those things as well. Um, So uh, very appreciative of our insights into that and also appreciative uh, of our insights into the political structure uh, here in the United States and across the globe. I mean, very clear um, uh, and very insightful uh, view of politics and um, government. So. That does it for us here on Hashtag Independent Media Monday. Please check out um, the uh, uh, the Hashtag Independent Media Monday reading list that will be posted fairly soon, uh, the Hashtag Independent Media Monday's uh, viewing list, and the Hashtag uh, Media Monday's, uh, Independent Media Monday's uh, listening list. So that'll be uh, up and running in a few here. Uh, Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for uh, checking in. Uh, This is Edward Rhymes with hashtag Independent Media Monday on Rhymes Media Group. Have a great day and God bless.